Welcome to Granite State Golfers with Micah. I'm an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of the top amateur golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. This episode features Bob Milkars, who has won the State Am nine times, more than any other golfer. He has also won the club championship at his home course, Concord Country Club, 20 times. This is a special episode for me because I've been fortunate to have known Bob for the past 15 years or so. My dad would organize a foursome each August for a scramble tournament at Lake Sunapee. It would be me, my dad, Bob, and Judge Arthur Bean. Judge Bean passed away a couple years ago at age 102, but even at age 100, he was still playing in the tournament with us in sinking putts. I got excited every August for this event because it was such a treat to get to watch Bob play and to hear some of his stories about the championships that he has won. As I started thinking about this podcast, it was really thinking back on those stories from Bob and the desire to capture some of those stories and to share them. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bob. So, Bob, welcome to Granite State Golfers, and thanks for coming on the show this morning. You're welcome. Um, thanks for having me. Let's start in the beginning. Where did you grow up, and when did you get into golf? Who got you into golf? Well, I was, you know, born and raised in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, you know, my dad played golf, and so I got introduced to golf with, you know, a couple of hand-me-down clubs or used clubs when I was about five or six, and, you know, really took to it. Uh, he belonged to a little nine-hole course, which now has a school on <laughs> the property. You know, the golf course disappeared many years ago, but, you know, that's who introduced me to the game. And then, you know, coincidentally, shortly after that, uh, my parents moved uh, across town, well, about a mile away, actually, right next door to a private golf course in Salem, Mass., called Kernwood. And I mean, literally right next door, uh, I could hit a wedge shot from my dad's backyard onto the 10th green at Kernwood. And even though it was a private course, that kind of didn't keep me from sneaking on and playing a lot of golf in the evenings. Uh, and, you know, I'd get chased off and, you know, I'd come back, you know, come back the next day and play some more. And most of it, you know, it wasn't like I was out playing nine holes. I was usually just you know, hitting, you know, chip shots and putting on the 10th green. And I think those kind of endless hours as a kid, chipping and putting kind of formed uh, or helped, you know, give me the the short game that I think, you know, was key to, you know, the success that I've had as an amateur. Did you play on on a high school golf team? Yeah, I did. I, I went to a... Uh, you know, a private all boys prep school called St. John's Prep in Danvers, Mass. Played on the golf team. Actually, played on the football team. Played on the hockey team. Oh wow! Uh, back back in ancient times when I grew up, it was like a sport of season. You know, yep. That's kind of what kids did in high school. Yeah. Uh, and what was really nice, uh, our golf team was able to use Salem Country Club as our home course. And, you know, Salem has been the site of a couple of U.S. Senior Opens, uh, Women uh, Opens. Uh, so it's, you know, a really fine, you know, Donald Ross layout. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was a real treat. 
And where, what about post high school? Uh, where did you move on to and what was golf like at that point in your life? Well, coincidentally, I was recruited to play football in college. I had, you know, football coach from Lehigh in Pennsylvania and uh, another coach from the University of Rochester who were, you know, recruiting me uh, to play football. And uh, ultimately, I made the decision to play Division Three football, which was Rochester, as opposed to Lehigh, which back then I think they called it Division One A. I'm not sure what they call it now. But when they flew me down to Lehigh, they were in the middle of spring practice. And I looked at the size of the kids and I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, spring football, I want to play golf in the spring. I don't want to go any place where they have spring football. It was after, you know, that, you know, that trip to Lehigh uh, that I decided, you know, Division Three was maybe a better fit for someone my size. The funny thing, though, the, the Lehigh coach... Uh, and I remember his name, Fred Dunlap. He went on to a great career at Colgate too after he left Lehigh. <laughs> when he when he found out I had like a one or a two handicap, he drove me out to the golf course because he was also the golf coach at Lehigh. Oh wow! And in Lehigh used a course called Saucon Valley uh, outside of or maybe in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. And the place was just beyond gorgeous. I think it's grown it, back then. I think it was 27 or 36 holes. Now I think they have 54 holes there. So I ended up, you know, going to Rochester after being recruited to play football. And lo and behold, I find out that their golf team plays Oak Hill Country Club, <laughs> which, you know, going from Salem to Oak Hill was like, you know, the best of both worlds. You yeah. know, they've had Ryder Cups there. The PGA Championship is going to be there. They've had multiple U.S. Opens and and other major championships there. It was just a treat to be able to you know play that kind of golf course in college. Yeah. What was the? How did your college team do? Any memorable college team wasn't back back then. Rochester didn't have much of a golf team. Uh, to be honest with you, the golf team was made up of whoever came out for the team and you know, maybe, you know, sons of people who were members at, you know, private clubs somewhere, and nobody was recruited to play golf there. It was kind of a forgotten sport. Had fun doing it, though. I mean, we, you know, we played a lot of, uh, you know, schools from, you know, New York, like Colgate and Syracuse and Cornell and Clarkson and uh Bucknell, well, they're Pennsylvania, but you know, we had fun playing, but we didn't have a great team. Yeah. Uh, since then, though, coincidentally, the guy who recruited me to play football there got fired as the football coach. He was a great recruiter, but maybe not so great a, a, co a football coach, but they liked him a lot. He was, you know, so they kept him on as an assistant athletic director and gave him the golf team. And because, you know, he was the kind of guy that he was, he, you know, loved to recruit student athletes. He started building a program and now it's a, it's a pretty decent golf program Wow! Uh, because they go out and actually recruit, yep. you know, young players who have some game and can, you know, get by the admissions office. Right. Post-college, did you return to Massachusetts? 
briefly. Uh, I got married pretty young. I got married in 1972, uh, a little over a year after I graduated from college, and then uh, immediately moved to New Hampshire in September of 72. And I've been a New Hampshire resident ever since. Okay. When you moved to New Hampshire, um, I know you're for a long time, you've been a member at Concord Country Club. Is that where you started playing a lot of your golf when you when you came to New Hampshire? First year I played at Beaver Meadow only because the few people that I knew uh, after moving uh, to Concord uh, played there. So in the summer of 73, uh, I played Beaver and wasn't enamored by the golf course, mostly because it wasn't very challenging. And they always played the course short. It seemed no one ever wanted to go to the back tees. And it was a drive and a wedge, a drive and a wedge, a drive and a wedge. And I thought to myself, you know, this is not good for your golf game. Um, so I switched over to Concord in 1974, and I've been a member ever since. This will be my 48th season there. Wow. I, I, I call myself one of the dinosaurs there. How many, um, we'll get into some of the New Hampshire AM events, but while we're on Concord, how many club championships have you won in that time span? 20. Wow. That's remarkable. So in the New Hampshire Am, so you you get into New Hampshire in the early to mid seventies, and your first New Hampshire amateur title is nineteen seventy seven. Is that right? Uh, correct. And where was that tournament held that year? Do you remember? At, I remember well at the Balsams. That was a. That's now unfortunately. I, I think they're trying to maintain some of it in, in hopes that it gets redeveloped. Yeah, I, I would love to see it get redeveloped, but I, I just don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot of, you know, financial obstacles to, you know, to resuscitating uh, a resort uh, like that, uh, whether or not there's someone who thinks that they can, uh, you know, pour millions of dollars into that and turn it into something that would turn a profit. Uh, I don't know, but certainly, you know, had some fond memories there. It was a Lovely place to vacation uh, while it was open. I know that. Yeah. In total, you won nine stadium titles, the most of any golfer. Uh, your last and ninth win came in 2000. Um, so that's a, a, quite a, a feat over the over four decades. Is any one of those particular victories uh, stand out or most meaningful or most memorable for you? And they're all memorable, uh, you know, some maybe, you know, a little extra special, you know, winning the first is always special. Uh, and then I think winning the second was was important to me also, because when I won at the Balsams, no one had ever heard of me. I was, you know, transplant from Massachusetts. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people r respected that. I had, you know, won in what would have been a strong field. Uh, people say, well, a lot of people didn't go because it was too far. It was too expensive to stay at the Balsams. Uh, and then I came back the very next year and won at Abernathy with a strong field and then came right back again uh, and won three in a row by winning at Nashua the following year. And I think that put, <laughs> you know, Put 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 to bed, you know, all of the doubts that yeah. you know I could play. Yeah, Th three in a row would would do that for sure. In uh, in your last win, uh, to give you number nine in two thousand, where was that one held? Uh, that was at Brentwood. Okay, 
and I forget north or south because I don't really remember the, you know, which, which is which over there. Yep. What do you, um, any memories from that, that win in 2000 that stand out? Well, w- one win, you know, that, you know, uh, I think was uh, kind of unusual was I, the hometown favorite was Mike Blair, who's uh, married into the family that owns Brentwood. His wife's uh, uh, a Barrett, and uh, he was playing good golf. And I think he had me a couple of three down on the back nine, and I came back, you know, to beat him. Uh, maybe on the last hole, uh, I'm not sure. And I know that was a hugely disappointing loss for him and. Uh, a you know a big win for me you know to come back from from being down the finals was <laughs> you know the easiest final I ever played and I think I won 10 and 8 which oh, was wow. you know unusual because many of the finals I played in went right down to the 36th hole and I even played extra holes in a couple of the wins that I uh that I had I I think I won two state ams on the 37th green wow so clearly with with that many victories, you you definitely seem to like match play. And what is it about match play that you enjoy? I think I like match play because I've had success at it, but that doesn't necessarily mean I, you know, I'm not a decent medal player. Uh, it's just that I haven't played in a lot of medal events uh, between family and work. You know, my focus every summer was the state am. I wasn't going to play in too many events. I knew that. I just think I'm a very tough competitor. And I think my short game is something that lends itself well to wearing down an opponent. Uh, I think many times in matches that were tight, you know, I'd get up and down for some pretty, you know, pretty tough spots. And I think that wears on your opponent when mentally he thinks he's got to win on a particular hole and you snatch it back. And every now and then it becomes a two hole swing. I can remember, you know, a number of instances where all of a sudden, you know, I'd make a, you know, crazy saving par and the person who I'm playing is on the green in regulation in three putts to lose the hole. And can you imagine walking off a green thinking you've got it won and right. instead you lose it? Uh, those are tough to, you know, to recover. Yeah. Uh, I know you've also played in some USGA events, and I, if I have it right from doing a little reading, um, you you advanced to the quarterfinals in 2005 of the U.S. Senior Amateur Championship. Uh, I did. I, I didn't play in any individual USGA events until I was eligible to play in senior events. Uh, it was just too time-consuming, uh, too costly to play in uh other events uh, like the regular U.S. amateur or mid-amateur. You know, I can remember going to California to play in my first, you know, senior am out at Bel Air. I mean, that you know, and that was how many years ago? 18 years ago, maybe. It was a $2,000 trip 18 years ago. Right. So playing amateur golf is not an inexpensive proposition, you know, especially at the national level. Where, where was the tournament held in 2005 where you went to the quarters? Uh, first, well, I made, went, made it to the quarters twice in back-to-back years. Uh, the first time I made it to the quarters was at a course uh, in Georgia uh, called The Farm. 
And I think I did well there because it was in the hills of Georgia. And when I got there, I, I thought to myself, wow, this feels like New England, <laughs> you know, up and down hills with trees. Yep. Uh, and then uh, the next year, it was at a course in southern Indiana called Victoria National, which the Corn Ferry Tour uh, plays at. And, you know, they've been playing that course for years. Very, very difficult golf course. Maybe one of the toughest I've ever played. Wow. Um, given the time span you've played in the New Hampshire Am, can you talk a little bit about how the competition has changed maybe from the 70s and 80s to, you know, when you won in 2000? I know you've played even in some certainly since then, but how, how has competitive golf in New Hampshire changed in that time frame? Yeah, the, the field is deeper now. There were always good players, but now there's more good players. And I think you can look at, you know, just the qualifying scores in some of the, you know, the recent AMs. Uh, last year was, you know, kind of crazy. Uh, tournament was at North Conway. And, you know, I went there because you know, I, kind of wanted to take a trip down memory lane. I had one there in 82 and Elaine likes to vacation up in North Conway. So I said, yeah, let's go. And I couldn't believe there were maybe a dozen players that broke par. Wow. Uh, and I think the cut, if I remember accurately, was like 146 you know, many years ago, it was like, if you could, if you could shoot two seventy nines, you were in, and that was like one fifty eight. Uh, so I, I was just shocked, you know, not that North Conway is that difficult, but still to have the cut that low and have that many people break par that, that was kind of crazy. Yeah. That's uh, uh, that's pretty remarkable. And what I liked was I was one of the guys that broke par and I was the oldest, oldest player in the field. Speak about that for a second. I mean, what's obviously one of the unique things about golf compared to almost any other sport or activity is the ability to play against a wide range of ages. So you, you were one of the oldest in the field beating, I'm sure people who were in their late teens or even early twenties. And what do you do? Talk a little bit about the playing against people, uh, that are have been much younger than you in tournaments. Well, in the two day qualifier, Monday and Tuesday, you're not really playing against anybody other than just the golf course. Yeah, and you're trying to post, you know, two scores that will get you into the bracket of 64. So, so that's all you're doing. And then, you know, once you get to match play, it's the luck of the draw. You have no idea who you're going to get, uh, whether he be 15 years old or. 40 years old. Don't think there was anyone over the over 70 like I was. <laughs> so I knew I wasn't going to, you know, see some gray haired old man walk onto the first tee when match play started. <laughs> I want to ask you just a little bit about some advice, um, you know, for golfers out there who maybe are, I don't know, single digit, um, you know, mid to high single digit golfers. Maybe they've not played in real competitive tournaments like the Mid-Am, for example, or even their club championship. What advice would you have for a golfer like that who's thinking about playing in a more serious tournament? Well, I, I think if you have a handicap that, you know, gets you by the uh, the tournament qualification, because 
you know, whether it be New Hampshire or any other governing body that's running a tournament, you know, they want to have respectable people in the field. So they do have a handicap limit. And if you're below that limit uh, and you want to, you know, play, I think you should, uh, you know, and some people, you know, will say, well, you know, I know I, you know, can't compete with, you know, the best of the best, so I'm not going to do it. But, you know, different, different people have different goals. You know, some people would enter the state am and all they want to do is maybe get by a sectional qualifier. That's their goal. Or if they pretty confident they can get by a sectional qualifier, then they want to go to the tournament site and maybe just make match play and then see how far they get. And I think people should give that, you know, give that a shot and, uh, you know, just see how, you know, how far you, you, your talent and your, your drive takes you. Yeah. That's good advice. Just another question on advice. Uh, you know, obviously the mental side of golf is, is hugely important. How do you, you know, bad shots, bad holes are inevitably going to happen for most golfers in most rounds. And how do you in a tournament move on when something bad happens? That's a tough one because I, I've always been, you know, a player who, sometimes wears his emotions on his sleeve too much. And, uh, you know, there have been times when, when I've hit a bad shot or two, and maybe it's led to a couple of more bad shots because I just don't put it behind me, but, you know, I've played in enough tournaments now where I know everyone's going to hit some bad shots. Everyone's going to lose a hole or two, uh, in whether you're in stroke play or, or whether you're in match play, you know, there's almost always time to recover. Uh, I've won, you know, some matches uh, after being down and looking hopeless just by, you know, sucking it up and saying, okay, you know, it's not over till it's over. And in stroke play, stroke play is a little harder. If you have a really, really tough hole, uh, if all of a sudden, you know, you make a triple and you know that it's going to be almost impossible to make that up. That's a, that's a tough road back. And then sometimes you have to say, okay, I'm not winning this now after this triple, but I want to finish as high as I can. And uh, oftentimes in a round that's going bad for me, I'll say, okay, uh, I'm going to play the last seven holes, one under or even par and forget about the previous 12 because they're done, you know, and, you know, kind of look ahead. And sometimes I I do that. I, I set, you know, some, some goals on the finishing holes, uh, just to keep from <laughs> going further South. Yeah, no, that, that's good advice. A few more questions here. Um, I think golfers are interested in what other people are playing in their bag, particularly, um, I think people at your level. So let's just talk about your clubs, um, and equipment for a, a, a second here. Uh, just walk me through your bag. What are you hitting at the driver and walk me through your irons down to your wedges and, and putter? not a a real technocrat when it comes to equipment or or launch monitors and things like that i'm more of a you know golfer who believes that good swings rather than good clubs are the key you know i don't change clubs very often uh, my bag is pretty much full of titleist equipment no special reason why uh i think there's probably at least a half a dozen or more manufacturers out there that make very you know, credible equipment. And if you're reasonably well fit with equipment, 
uh, you know, you can play almost anything. Uh, yeah. It's just a matter of, you know, swinging them well. My irons are, you know, uh, T200 irons. Uh, I have an old Titleist, you know, TS1 driver, uh, you know, a three wood, you know, couple of Titleist. I call them metal hybrids. They look like muscle back driving irons. I don't carry conventional hybrids. Okay. And and they seem to work for me. And then my wedges, you know, I've, I carry a lob wedge, which I, I love a 60 degree wedge. You know, that's a, you know, Titleist wedge. And my, my 54 degree gap wedge is also a Titleist wedge. So the, the only club in my bag that isn't a Titleist is uh, an old Odyssey putter that I kind of stick with. Yep. For years, I played with the bullseye butter. I looked like Corey Pavin out there in a lot of stadiums years ago. Uh, and unfortunately, I lost that putter. <laughs> I, I, I was down the Cape and left it somewhere and never got it back. And, you know, you just can't go in a store and find a bullseye putter anymore. Yeah, right. And what do you what do you play for a ball? I play Titleist balls uh, and have, you know, for a long time. So I, I usually, you know, play the, the Pro V1X, but a lot of times I'll just play a regular Pro V. Yep. How do you, um, how do you mark your ball? <laughs> Funny. Many years ago, and I don't know how many years ago, I decided I was going to use a blue marker because most people used red. So I was going to go against the grain and do that. And most people did dots near the numbers. Well, I didn't want to do that. So I, I put... Uh, a blue dot above the first eye in Titleist. And for years and years, there was a dimple that lined up with the first eye in Titleist. That's no longer the case because it seems they're always changing dimple designs now. So I fill in a dimple that's somewhere, you know, near and above the first eye in Titleist. Okay. I love Just it. one blue dot on, yeah. on each side. I love it. This next section I call gimme. So these are short questions that should be easy but as you know with gimmies not all gimmies if you were to put them are are easy uh first question is what's your favorite course in new hampshire i have to say concord 48 years running <laughs> what do you what do you like about concord so much it's a it gives you a good test a good variety and I think over time, it's shown that it stands up pretty well when tournaments are hosted there. And I'm actually looking forward to <laughs> if I'm still, you know, still alive and still have some game in a couple of years, Concord is hosting the State Am, which will be, if I, you know, think I can play it all, will be my very last State Am. Uh and uh, I'll be anxious to see with the strength of the field that we have now, if how well Concord holds up. And yeah. I can pretty much guarantee you, there aren't going to be 12 scores under par after th the first two days of qualifying. Yeah. What what year is that happening? 2024. Okay. So today, this year it's at Abenaki uh, where I will play. Uh, and next year, Manchester. And then the following year, Concord. So right now... God willing, I, I'm going to play in three more. Abenaki, because it's another trip down memory lane. I won twice there. It's the only course where I won twice. Uh, and then uh, try to finish at Concord. Great. I'm like the old rock star on a farewell tour. <laughs> um, 
What's the what's your favorite club in your bag? Well, I'd have to say uh, my wedge, uh, and, and it's probably a couple of wedges. You know, I I I just think you know I'm a good wedge player and have always been a good wedge player, and uh, you know, hitting wedges close, whether it be from a fairway, you know, 80 yards out or 100 yards out, or hitting a little flop shot, you know, around a green uh, to save a par. Uh, so, you know, wedges, I think are, you know, my favorite club. Okay. Favorite PGA or LPGA player. That's a tough one, you know, cause it always changes. It's, you know, I'm old enough to <laughs> have gone through many different favorites many years ago when he was in his playing days, it was Nicholas and always Nicholas. I yeah. mean, he was, you know, he was the God. And, uh, and then I was, you know, very enamored with, with Mickelson. I just liked the way he smiled around the course and played, you know, very, you know, very good golf and took risks. Uh, you know, now I know Mickelson has gotten himself in trouble with some things that he said, uh, some things that a lot of people don't agree with, but, you know, and, and now there's just so many good young players. It, it seems when I watch a tournament now, I'm always rooting for some young player that's maybe never won just to see him break out. Yep. Uh, so right now I don't have any one you know, favorite, you know, PGA player. I, I just love, you know, seeing some of these young guys and how well they play. Is there a golf course on your bucket list that you've not yet played that you would really love to play? It's a lot. Uh, you know, certainly after watching, you know, the Masters, because that's the one major tournament that doesn't rotate. You know, it doesn't go from course to course. It's always there. And, you know, you know, went to, you know, watch the Masters once and love the course. Certainly would love to play there, but I'd love to play a lot of other old classic courses. I've been able to play a few of them, but, you know, I'd love to, you know, play a few more and, and love the older classic designs. The yep. ones that are maybe hundred years old instead of 10 years old. Yep. And my last question, you know, golf's been a huge part of your life. What is it about golf that you love so much? number of things, you know, I, I love the fact that it's, you know, a, a challenge and I love the fact that you can play competitively uh, if you're, if you like to, you know, well into your senior years. It's not like playing football where your body gets beat up and you're pretty much done uh, early in life or hockey or, or some other things. So you can play it, you know, through throughout life, play it competitively. You can play it across generations. Uh, I have so many memories of, you know, playing golf with, you know, my dad, you know, my, you know, my son. Uh, now it seems all I'm doing is buying golf clubs for my grandkids and another thing that I think is special about golf is, is you can play with, you know, people of varying abilities. Uh, I can go out and play with, you know, a foursome of guys who can't break a hundred because I'm going to be play against the golf course and I'm going to be trying to beat par, you know, with handicaps and being able to give strokes and things like that. People of varying ability can go out and play together and have a great time. 
You can't do that in some other sports. Uh, you know, tennis, for instance, if you're a world-class player, you can't go out and play with someone who has trouble returning a serve. Right. Uh, but golf, it's just so many good reasons why it's a great game. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So just looking at your schedule for the year, you mentioned you're going to play in the stadium at Abenaki. Are there other tournaments that you're looking to play this year? And probably the only other one that I'll play in is, you know, the New Hampshire Senior Am. Uh, I've kind of given up years ago trying to play uh, the senior events at the national level with a lot of golfers turning 55 every year. That's the threshold for senior golf at the uh, USGA level. It's tough, you know, you know, it's tough to compete when you're 72 against guys who are 55 and hitting it way by you. Yeah. So I had you know, I had a number of good years where I was competitive at the, you know, the senior level nationally. I don't, I'm not sure I'm competitive at the senior level within the state anymore, but it's fun to go out and see all the people that I've played against and played with for decades in the state. It's, you know, New Hampshire is kind of like a, you know, a large fraternity. Everyone knows each other and it's gotten a little different now. I don't know a lot of the young players. Uh, most of them look at me and I think they know who I am when I show up at the state am. And some of them call me Mr. Meal cars instead of Bob, because there's maybe a 50 year age difference, but the older players who are in the, you know, the, the senior events like me, you know, we've known each other for decades and it's just nice to see people year after year. Yeah, I bet. Well, thanks, Bob. I really enjoyed talking with you and hearing about your some of your golf stories um, and appreciate you coming on the show today. Well, thanks. I'm flattered you asked me. Thank you for listening. Granite State Golfers is produced by Dew Sweeper Productions. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, tee it up, have fun, and go low.